Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, and we're coming to you from the studios of the Coming Home Network International. Uh, Joined today by my son, John Mark. And uh, as usual, John Mark, before we jump into the text, I'd like to turn it over to you, maybe say a word or two about our work. Sure thing. Well, once again, thanks all who are listening to this podcast, who've been following it for for many years, or those who are perhaps new to it. Um, if you're not a subscriber to the Coming Home Network, if you don't receive our newsletter, which it really is this thread that ties the network together, for uh, over 20 years now, uh, converts and journeyers have been receiving the Coming Home Network newsletter, which has a new conversion story each month, some helpful uh, educational articles, but most importantly, prayer requests and updates from people who are on the journey and, and need the prayers of the rest of the network. And so that, that's a free newsletter. You can sign up at chnetwork.org. I encourage you to to uh, do so. Yeah. So, Mark, one of the things I hope happens with these Deep in Scripture episodes is that if any listeners have questions or comments, they can get engaged in a discussion about that. Is that available there on the website? Yeah, you can. Yeah, there's a bunch of ways to connect. That's what we're all about at the Communion Network is connection. So if you go to the website... We have an online community that you can access through through the menu on the site. Uh, you can send us a message. You can connect with our staff. If you have any questions for us, you know you can send an email to info at chnetwork.org. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Thanks, John Mark. In a couple of weeks, John Mark and I are going to uh, jump into studying the book of Philippians verse by verse, and we'll do it over a long period of time. Hopefully, we'll get it done before our Lord returns. Uh, But you never know. Uh, In this day and age, you just never know. Um, But before we start on that, we're going to look at a couple other verses over the next week or two. And the the section that I propose to John Mark for us to look at today is a part of one of my favorite books of the New Testament, and that's the first letter to Timothy. And we'll be looking today at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, verses, the end of verse 2 through verse 12. And I, I thought about this verse for a number of reasons. I happened to be reading through First Timothy recently, and I, I put a note that I thought this would be a good one for us to discuss, John Mark. Um, but I also think about what's happening in the church today, in our culture today. Um, if If anything... Our culture today, um, many see our culture becoming less and less Christian. And that Christendom, if you will, is being divided up even more so than certainly the Protestant reformers Mm -hmm. ever dreamed of in in the Reformation. Um, And there's splinter after splinter after splinter. And many of these splinters are being led by people that think they've come up with a novel way of understanding the faith, hmm. and all they're re- doing is repeating the same old problems yeah. that have been around, that have been enticing, hmm. that have been warned about uh, throughout Scripture and throughout hmm. the history of the church. And so what we see in First Timothy, which I, why I always love this, is... Here we have Paul imprisoned, writing to, if you will, his one of his best friends, St. Timothy, mm-hmm. who's also 
a, a young bishop. So he's, if you will, the, the, the novice. Right. That in this case, Paul has, an, has encouraged to stay at Ephesus because there's problems at Ephesus. It's been many years since Paul was at Ephesus. We read in Acts that Paul was at Ephesus, and he said goodbye to the elders there. You can read about that in, in, in Acts. And then now Timothy is their pastor, their, their bishop, and uh, Paul has written this very personal letter. And so when you think about it, mm. Paul was not writing this letter with the initial intent of it being read to a congregation of people. Mm-hmm. It was a private letter mm-hmm. to a friend or someone he's, yeah. he's encouraging. And so in that sense, we can see some very private challenges to this young bishop. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what make the, makes the letter truly unique. Yeah. Um, it's something that got that feel to it. You know, the whole, the whole letter, it, it's got a more intimate, uh, more you know, fraternal or paternal tone to it, which, yeah, it makes it very unique. Yeah, he tells them it's, at some point, drink a little wine with your with your water, you know, or <laughs> or uh, drink a little water with your wine. Well, I can't remember what the English translation uh, was or the original <laughs> Greek, who knows. But, um, you know, very personal, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, uh, you know, bring when you come, bring some extra clothes for me, you know, that kind of almost that intimacy. So... Mm-hmm. But we're going to look, it's, it's always hard to take one section out of the entire book, because really you'd almost want to look at the whole book. But we're going to look at just this section. And um, what I'd like to do, John Mark, uh, is let me read that whole section. And then before we jump into it, I might ask if you have any re- overall reflections yourself after I read the whole section. And, and here it is, again, chapter 6, beginning with the last phrase in verse 2 that most translators see as the beginning of of this entire paragraph. So Paul writes to Timothy, teach and urge these duties. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching which, which accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit, he knows nothing, He has a morbid craving for controversy and for disputes about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions, and wrangling among men who are depraved in mind and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. There is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced their hearts with many pangs. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Aim at righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, 
when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's just a beautiful passage. I mean, I, I know we'll dig into this in a lot of different ways, but I, I think you know one of the main things that, that comes out to me that I'm intrigued by with this passage is, um, you know, he, he gets into the the love of money is the root of all evils. That used that's a you know a familiar quote that we we hear quoted elsewhere, but in in the context of this passage. In some sense, that's one example of how the craving for anything else other than the Lord and his righteousness is this downward spiral into a craving for, a, a using of the faith for personal gain. Whatever form that personal gain may take, whether it's money, which of course he does reference here, but he, he also references other things, this craving for you know, controversy and this, the, the slander and the base suspicion. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like Lewis's first thing, second things here, you know, if, or, or a Chesterton, I think has a quote too about, you know, there's only, there's a, there's many ways that a man can fall down many different directions. There's only at one angle that a man can stand straight, you know? And so whatever it is that might be first in your life, whatever might be your highest priority, if that's not the heavenly father and his righteousness, then you may think that you're okay, that you're just dallying, but it's going to be this downward spiral. Yeah, and yeah, that example that you just gave, gave of there's only one way to stand straight mm-hmm. is a, a good backdrop in a way to this whole passage because yeah. how do you know if you're standing straight? Yeah. How do you know if you're standing straight? Again, I'm reminded of that image from your favorite books by Lewis, the the uh, the sci-fi trilogy, the space trilogy, yeah. where, where, where the I think it's the Eldils mm-hmm. uh, show up in our world and they're at an angle, <laughs> right? Remember that? Yeah, they're at an angle. Yeah, and they look like they're they're in their world, in mm-hmm. our world. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when when we're standing at an angle, see the danger in this passage is that there was a person. I believe, in the Ephesus congregation that had a different understanding of the faith and who was influential and was causing a ruckus and was pulling people away. And so in the first third, if you will, of this passage, he's addressing this person who's causing a problem. In the second third of this, he's, he's showing the the motive and underlying mm-hmm. this, and it, it leads to the same downward trajectory. And yeah. then the last part, Paul turns his attention away from that guy in the congregation to yeah. Timothy. Yeah. And saying, beware yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that we're going to look at that. That's a, just a great passage, a great passage. Yeah. And uh, so many things, but we have so little time, but let's look at it a little bit. We'll start at the beginning in which um, he begins with, Paul tells Timothy, teach and urge these duties. Teach and urge these duties. Now, on the one hand, um, there's the immediate context of the things Paul has just said, but into a bigger context, he's talking about the whole letter. And he begins the letter... Boy, John Mark, I got so much stuff here. We'll never cover this in a day and a half. But, uh, <laughs> but, but if we go back to the beginning, yeah. 
you can see that he began the letter when Paul says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to occupy themselves with myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the divine training that is in faith. Hmm. Whereas the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience hmm. and sincere faith. Oh, that's such a good, good bit there. See, that that does, you know, echo what we're going to really dig into in the passage that we are looking at today. Because, yeah, one of the measures that someone has begun to depart from this aiming towards godliness, um, and is being to get caught up in this other stuff that may appear on the surface to be, oh, they're they're being a good Christian, a good Catholic. They're, look at all the stuff that they're talking about that they're that they're obsessed with is all that's all Christian stuff. So that must be good stuff. But they begin to depart and get caught up in these speculations or the controversy or the, you know, I mean, what a, what a relevant verse today because that is so easy in this technological communication age to be sucked into the controversy, watching the dumpster fires, gossiping about the latest scandal, you know, and, well, I don't want to yep. jump into it too quickly now, but like we need to, I love that he sets he sets the trajectory right there. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And what um, that little passage does, kind of yeah. tying on to what we talked about last week, is that the understanding of love in our culture has mm-hmm. many different layers. And some yeah. of them are utterly wrong, right. utterly self-possessed. But the kind of love that that the ministry, and again, he, he says our charge, in other words, as bishops— The charge of bishops is a love that issues from, not self-centeredness, but it issues from pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. And like we were talking about in the the past few weeks, again, that, that love proceeds from the power of the Holy Spirit, you know. That we we our love c- comes out. It's it's both our action, but it's also a fruit of the spirit in us. And anytime we step aside from the spirit, you know, for whatever reason, whether we're afraid or we're angry or craving conscience controversy, or if there's some good that we really want to do, we really think we can do, but we step away from the spirit to try to force that outcome. You know, we we are departing from a pure heart, and whatever the outcome is, it's coming from us and not from the Holy Spirit. Three things in this simple little passage. We have Paul telling Timothy, who's in Ephesus, to tell the elders in Ephesus to then tell the people. So what we see is the authority of the church. We have the authority of the church is right in that little phrase. And so he's encouraging, exhorting the word urge, exhorting him, these duties— these duties. In other words, as Christians, there is that that combination between faith and then how that faith is lived out. Another word is our works. Yeah. Faith without these duties. Mm-hmm. Obedience of faith is Paul's statement in, in Romans 1.5. The obedience of faith. So, so Paul's exhorting Timothy to do this. Now, the little next section, verses 3 mm-hmm. through 5, John Mark. 
If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching with the courts to block with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit. He knows nothing. He has a morbid craving for controversy, for disputes about words, about which produces envy and dissension and slander and base suspicions and wrangling among men who are depraved in mind and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. John Mark, that sounds an awful like what he talked about at the beginning of the letter. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's expanding yeah. it. Yeah. And I kind of think, though he's speaking in general terms, he's talking about somebody mm-hmm. he's got in mind. Yeah. And the reason I say that is just not everybody that causes problems know nothing. Mm. But this particular guy that it's in Paul's mind that maybe Timothy, as they've talked about, who's causing problems in this church, is speaking about stuff above his pay, his pay grade, if you will. <laughs> yeah. He's puffed up with conceit. Um, mm. He really doesn't know what he's talking about. But there's something about his morbid craving for controversy. Yeah. And disputes about words. Well, it's interesting, too, yeah, that right there at the beginning, he's puffed up conceit, he knows nothing. That does seem like rather hyperbolic. But then, you know, as we proceed through this first third and then the second third of this packet passage, he and he begins to describe more of the psychology of how, you know, this, you know, even a, a one degree uh, movement, you know, away from the target, which is the godliness that only God can give, you know, imitation of God. Um it ends up in this spiral that goes down. And what's interesting is, again, the, uh, he knows he knows nothing. Like, is that not hyperbolic? In some sense, maybe there is there is a more general truth there in the sense that if once you depart from that, that aim and you go down that spiral where more and more the aim isn't isn't the, the, the father and his righteousness, but some some aspect of personal gain, even if it's just protecting my own pride, you know, indulging my own craving for controversy, whatever that is. It's almost like that that turns the whole gospel on its head. So all the things that you that you thought you knew, all those truths that you have been taught, they get inverted because they're there to serve you and your purposes rather than you pursuing godliness because that's right. No, suddenly everything about the faith, all those duties, all the words, you know, we think of the, the rituals, the prayer, we think, you know, do those become inverted because I'm doing this for something other than obedience to Christ. When, if, and I know John Mark is never true of you or me, you know, we're, we're so far beyond this. Uh, Indeed. Because I really, I don't <laughs> think I've ever in my life met someone humbler than me. But um, Wait a minute, are you going to take the uh, humility award from Dr. Ray Garendi? My goodness. <laughs> yeah, we, we go round and round. But He's going to have some choice words for you. Yeah, really. But, but think about it. When a person be, becomes puffed up with conceit, do they know that? You know what I'm saying? That when, if you be, are becoming puffed up, and not mean you, but I mean, if a person is becoming puffed up with conceit, they usually don't know it. And that connects with he, does, he knows nothing. Yeah. Because he's so puffed up with conceit, he's blind yeah. to how he is been pulled away from the fullness right because of his self-centeredness you know one way to look at this passage I, I was thinking earlier is that you know craving is mentioned a couple of times and if we cast that in terms of the, the cardinal virtues um, an unchecked craving is a is an issue of a lack of temperance 
you know, temperance is the virtue whereby we recognize, okay, I have a craving for whatever it is, you know, food or drink or, you know, uh, money or um, we, can, we can get into more kind of um, things like my pride. You know, if I'm craving the attention, if I'm craving, you know, you know, the thing that makes me feel good, whatever it is, um, that's uh, that's a lack of temperance or, or that needs to be that desire needs to be tempered. And so the thing about a lack of temperance is that it it can very easily lead to a self-deception because many times when we crave something that is apparently a good, we can tell ourselves, well, I'm just I'm just a, a good person. So the person who craves controversy in our in our in biblical times as well as in today, they can tell themselves in their heart of heart. Well, maybe not in their heart of hearts, but at some <laughs> level they can tell themselves that, well, hey, I'm just I'm just concerned about the church and where it's going. That's why I'm that's why I'm talking about all the sins of all the other members. And that's why I, I'm constantly obsessing over this this esoteric knowledge. And they can tell themselves that that, that they're being a good that I'm being courageous when really they're just lacking in temperance. And so exactly as you're saying, it, it, this lack of temperance, this giving into a craving and 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 casting it as something else, it's very easy to lead to to go into a self-deception where I'm telling myself that this this craving it's something good. This is a, not a vice, but a virtue. Because often people that end up causing schism, that wasn't their intent. Right. But as they grew in that schism, puffed up by the successes they had from that schism, they become ignorant to how schismatic they've become. In fact, I'm thinking about you and I, John Mark, both like C.S. Lewis's writings, and they affect us a long time, but it reminds me of that in the Screwtape Letters. Remember that the description of the woman who would go out for dinner, and on the one hand, she was committed to simplicity and, and not being a burden to anybody, but oh, yeah, she was really crazy. high maintenance. She, yeah. she, she would make the waiter, you know, cut the bread a certain way. Remember that? Uh, that yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that's such a great example because that's a situation where someone, in the example that uh, old Uncle Screwtape is giving, there's someone who's telling themselves, "Oh, I'm, I'm just a, I'm a person of simple tastes. You know, I don't like to cause too much trouble. I don't like, oh, that's that's far too much for me." And they've gotten themselves in this place where they're telling themselves that, "Oh, I'm, I'm humble. I'm meek. You know, I'm, I'm unselfish." When really they are just very, very intemperate. They're craving for having things exactly their way is so, you know, uh, so unre un unrestrained that now they, they can't even see how much trouble it's causing because there was some apparent good that they had their eyes fixed on and they didn't recognize their lack of temperance. And in this context, Paul says these kinds of people who maybe think they're doing what's right, you know, whatever their um, source of truth is in their heart, mind and what they've latched on to they've 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 puffed up a conceit they're blind to it they know nothing and then as it says here it leads there's a trajectory a morbid craving for controversy for disputes about words which produce envy and and here's a case where on the one hand there's this person or in general people like this and then it has an effect on others it produces an effect on others. So it's not just one person that gets drawn away, but others are drawn mm -hmm. away themselves. Produces envy, dissension, 
slander, base suspicions, wrangling among men who are depraved in mind and bereft of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And I think it bears repeating, like like you said, these always, these almost never start, I'll I'll say it that way, these almost never start with someone aiming at evil. Someone never starts down this path because they have some specific conscious evil in mind. It starts down because they're, 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 they're thinking and aiming at something good. You know, that's not, that's not the issue here. It's that they don't recognize that in their, in their craving for this thing, which itself is not God, um, they, they begin to pursue that apart from the other goods and it becomes divorced. Again, we keep going back to Lewis and his screw tape letters here, but there's another passage <laughs> of my favorites there where, again, this is screw tape talking about how to tempt someone. And, and he's saying from the diabolical perspective, all extremes except extreme devotion to the enemy or to God are to be encouraged. And so any extreme, you know, extreme devotion to anything in the church, any any aspect of the Christian life, any extreme that's pursued above our, an extreme devotion to God can be twisted, you know, into a craving that, that leads down this path. Well, actually, actually, John Mark, that is a great introduction for us to back up a bit, which I intended that we gloss over, but now it's time to look at it because they ask the question, how do you keep, how does a good, faithful Christian keep from getting blind to get their puffed up in self-centeredness. Even when we think it's because I'm so holy. You know, how do you keep? And he gives the instruction back in verse 3. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree with, and he gives two foundations, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and two, the teaching which accords to godliness. Mm-hmm. Now, John Mark, think about those two things, the sound mm-hmm. words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching which accords to godliness. What are some things that that we can glean from just the fact that Paul points to those foundations to this young bishop? Well, you, you, uh, you told me yesterday. That's the only reason I... I pick up on it now. <laughs> and that is, one of the things that, that, that these people know the gospel already. He's preaching to Christians who've already had the word preached to them. They know the words of Christ. And as you pointed out yesterday, I'm just taking the words out of your mouth. <laughs> that They probably knew them down pat, especially at a time in culture when, when uh, oral tradition, oral storytelling and memorization was just the norm. They would have known the words of Jesus Christ, that would have been their, their daily bread would have been Christ's words of the gospel. So he's preaching to people who, uh, who know that gospel so well. Yeah. And it, the idea of it coming down on paper yeah. didn't happen for 20 or more years. The gospels weren't recorded. Now, what's interesting is that modern scholars who themselves probably can't remember, uh, you know, their phone number, That's me. project that onto these, and so assume that there had everything had to be written down, and we don't have it, and it was like the Q source and all that, you know, bull. You know, the point is that this was a culture that knew the Psalms. When our Lord was on the cross, and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yeah. He was quoting Psalm 2. I mean, he, 
he right. knew the Psalms. They knew it. And everybody listening knew what he was quoting. Yeah. And so what this says is that these people knew the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's another important thing here. There are a lot of non-Catholic Christians that really emphasize more the words of Paul and not so much the words of Jesus. I remember Christians who almost ignored the Sermon on the Mount as if that was before the cross. It's too works-oriented. And so they don't even think about the words of Jesus because they say, well, those words of Jesus were for people, the Jews, before the cross, and now after the cross, we focus on the epistles of Paul. Here's yeah. Paul saying yeah. that the foundation is the words of Jesus. Yeah. But there's a second half, and this mm -hmm. is why um, I draw your attention to 2 Thessalonians 2.15, which actually was one of those passages that opened my heart to the Catholic Church. Because Paul, oh, is that, is that one of your verses I never saw? This is one of my many verses I never saw. Oh, if you go to our website and search for the verses I never saw, you can see uh, 10 of those verses that a Catholic snuck in the middle of the night and stuck in the dad's Bible when he wasn't looking. Okay. Now, <clears throat> and this is one of those, because Paul writes, So then, brethren, and he's writing to the Thessalonian Christians. He's not writing to a bunch of non-believers. He's writing to people that already have the words of Jesus. He says, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. And so we know from all of Paul's letters that his primary, his preferred, preferred way of communicating the gospel was face-to-face. And if he could always be there face-to-face, -face, we would have never had any of his letters. Right. But the only reason we have epistles is because he keeps getting locked up somewhere <laughs> for Jesus, and so mm -hmm. he's got to write letters. So the point is that there's these traditions that are passed on. Yeah. And so when you look at the writings of, the, of his epistles, the truth is that there's nothing new in any of his epistles— that he's telling the people to whom he's writing that he hasn't already told them when he was there. Okay? Which mm -hmm. means that there's more in the epistles than just the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there's the sound words, and then there's the application. Right. This is what Jesus said, and someone says, well, boy, how do I, what does that mean? This is what it means for your marriage. This is what it means for your job. This is what it, that's what he does in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. This is yeah. what it means in your family. So we have the teaching that accords to godliness, yeah. which is built on the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, right. but on the sound words of on, on Scripture, because we know that in the early days of the church, their Scripture was the Old Testament. Right. So um, what I'd like to do, John Mark, is we're going to pause— and we're going to close this episode of Deep in Scripture. Okay. Let's do that. We'll come sure. back next week for the second half of our discussion of 1 Timothy 6. Yeah, because there's a lot there still. There's so much here. So we want to encourage you to come back next week and pick up where we left off with this passage. And uh, we'll continue on that. John Mark, maybe some closing thoughts. Yeah, sure thing. Once again, go to deepinscripture.com, which actually will just redirect you to the Deep in Scripture page on the website of the Coming Home Network. And again, we invite you to subscribe to the newsletter 
at chnetwork.org slash join. And join us again next week. All right. Thanks, John Mark. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.